and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. Uh, I'm very excited today uh, to introduce you to one of my favourite authors of all time, uh, Laura Dockerell. She's recently written an incredible memoir that has fans from everybody from Philippa Perry to Adele. So when Laura became pregnant, she couldn't wait to meet her new baby. But as she went into labour, things began to go wrong and Laura started to struggle. A traumatic birth, anxiety about the baby, sleep deprivation and slow recovery, all these things piled up until Laura, like any new mum, felt overwhelmed. As many as six out of ten mums struggle in the weeks after birth, Laura had never experienced mental illness before and was reassured by her family and friends and professionals that what she was feeling was normal. But in Laura's case, these feelings escalated scarily quickly into postpartum psychosis, a rare and debilitating illness. And within a matter of days, Laura became paranoid, delusional and suicidal. When her baby was just three weeks old on Mother's Day, Laura was institutionalised without her baby. Throughout this time, she was haunted by a sense of what have I done? which becomes the title of the incredible memoir that has just been released into the world. And thankfully, uh, despite Laura's story being a very gruelling one, uh, it is a hopeful one too. Not only has she got better, she's come out the other side stronger and more assured. And now she is determined to break the stigma around postnatal mental health, shatter the romanticised expectations of perfect motherhood and to empower parents. Without further ado, I have got to introduce you to Laura. I like that um, we're both wearing lipstick take, during like lockdown. As I was <laughs> looking, I was like, Lena would, is probably going to be wearing red. Oh, I've put red on. Anyway. <laughs> no, it's good though. It's just like, okay. boom, we, um, I don't know, we're, we're bossing lockdown. <laughs> I think people look at me really we, weird, we, but I'm like, it's keeping me sane. I can't explain it. I need lipstick. <laughs> but yeah, it's all good. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. <laughs> yeah, cool. It's a bit of a mad one, isn't it? But um, this is the second ever vintage podcast remote so feel honored making history thank here. you um, whereabouts thank whereabouts you. are you at the moment you've got loads of guitars behind you where are you i'm in my well he's now my husband we got married just before lockdown oh God, um, so i'm in um hugo's studio uh, where he like he works from home too so um this is where the magic happens as he would say yeah. if he was on cribs um and then he lets me use this which is really nice because it's kind of got a, a nice acoustics and support and the walls and stuff like that it's almost that, like so. you saw a pandemic happening and we're like i better partner up with a producer I saw a pandemic <laughs> happening so i've got a book coming out and i really need access to microphones genius <laughs> <laughs> actually because i've been in love with hugo since i was 13 mm-hmm. while the other day i kind of woke with this thought like imagine if this was all just a conspiracy that i created to have to do lockdown with hugo <laughs> <You're> like, <"Da-da-da." laughs> yeah brilliant well i think it is like interesting apparently there's been like a huge rise in divorces in china because people are having to like confront whether they really like their partner or they really don't i know it is that thing isn't it it's like i i I have because we've got the toddler as well i am sometimes finding i'm just swearing in the middle of the night like (laughs) i can't it's like, like just no. going just so animalistic and primal <laughs> so let's talk about the book i want i absolutely loved it i thought it was really incredible and you know i've been a fan of your writing since i was like 19 <laughs> which i don't mean <laughs> it makes you like feel weird but i have been i'm just a fan of yours as a human oh, so i think i'm weirder <laughs> that human life um but this book was obviously like a bit different for you. Um, tell us a little bit about life before the book. For those of you who haven't heard about your writing before and your work, like what did life look like BC before baby? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question. So before all of this, I was a, I guess, known more for children's writing, probably for presenting myself to the world as a kind of buoyant, optimistic, positive person that very much relied on my imagination um, and would always kind of follow my bliss and go towards things that made me feel really happy. And that's why I think working with children's books was a perfect role for me um also performance poetry so just anything that storytelling humans people bright colorful and then that really played into this because my whole identity I mean it trashes your identity anyway um not just having a baby but having a mental illness it can do that Mm. but that kind of or feeling like you write for children then having your first child you know everyone is going oh you're gonna make the best mum you know she's gonna he's gonna have a um children's writer as a mum who's so bright and creative and all these things and being rock, rock bottom losing my mind completely being confidence below zero and psychotic mm. kind of gives you that um chucky element yeah <laughs> and I just felt like this is really even more twisted than say if I had um a job where I did something more adult I would maybe have felt a little bit more fitted yeah. um also um my imagination so like obviously my writing storytelling has been what's kept me alive and helped me cope with big stuff that's happened not big big but my parents breaking up for example or big changes in life I've coped with during my writing expressed myself through writing then when your imagination turns on you and becomes your worst enemy and the unsafest place in the world um that as was also a trick it was like oh this is a sick joke it's like where I would normally use these kind of vines to clamber myself out of this these woods I can't be there anymore Mm. um so it was kind of a real extra punishment in a way is that you lose your little shed to go to (laughs) Your safety shed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I um, totally. Yeah. Totally. And I think it's that thing of like, well, that's the thing. like skills that make you an incredible children's entertainer don't necessarily prepare you to make a child. <laughs> They're very different. But I think people can complain Exactly to that. Exactly that. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And then I guess that was another thing trying to... Because then, I, I mean, going through what we're going through at the moment, I have been so informed, not you know, that I have so much to be grateful for, for my illness. And it reminds me all the time how grateful I am. But it's informed me and enriched me for this experience, for example, even in itself, because I was already there prioritising myself. The fact that I've won back my creativity and my work is an extra bonus because I was at the point where I was like if I can put food in my mouth again, if I can like walk into a shop confidently and pick up some eggs... <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So to be able to do all this already, it's more of a bonus for me. And my world had already shrunk in these last two years so much anyway. Well, having a baby does that and it can do that anyway, but more so when you have already been holding on, yeah. building back anyway. So yeah, particularly. Um, I think like as as like kind of I don't know if like modern women or like feminists, we always think that we're immune to different kind of mythologies and ideas around stuff. But I think we all have ideas of what motherhood is and what it isn't and what it will entail. Um, tell us about what you thought about motherhood before it happened to you. I want to phrase it like that rather than like you did it. It's like, I feel like sometimes it's something that yeah. happens to women. Um, what were your mythologies around totally. motherhood? And where do you think they came from? Um, I'm really happy of your questions, Lena. Okay. They're really the okay. things that are coming up quite a lot for me because um, 
So, you've, yeah, you're touching on all the right things, really, that points that I feel passionate and I want to get across because... So one of the things that kept coming up when I first was finding it hard and struggling to cope was people would go, oh, was it your first? Oh, was it your first? Like, as in, did you have that massive Hollywood expectation? It just didn't go your way? Or is it, are you looking on Instagram too much? Like, as if I got psychosis because I was jealous. <laughs> and it's like, it. these are just so ignorant and naive real viewpoints because um actually how I got ill it's more I realize now it's bigger actually I just got not just I got mentally unwell but anybody can get mentally unwell at any time and you can have um psychosis or any sort of illness any episode from anything happening in life Mm -hmm. this would probably be what's happening now could be the reason to make that happen to somebody so that was a really difficult thing. And then you also said as well that um, something happened and it's true. So many women say to me, they say, I can't put my finger on what happened there, but something happened. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yes, you did have a baby. And that in itself for many people is trauma. It's definitely different. Some women feel euphoria. That's the dream. Um, but we get this kind of Hollywood sensationalized, romanticized vision to us that you're probably from Hollywood film where you you know the mum goes into like you have this theatre of your waters breaking and then it's sirens panic stations you go in and then you have this screaming and it's quite funny because she's saying all these swear words and she's telling the man to do this and do that and she's calling for these weird I mean I'm thinking of look who's talking specifically but she's thinking of all these strange things she wants like chipped ice or whatever and then the baby comes and it's like laughing and crying at the same time this like unexplainable euphoria of like ah, everything at once And never has she looked more beautiful when she's done her woman's work. And if your kind of your labour doesn't go that way, it is it is wild already how much you feel like you have just failed the labour athletics and you've got this bronze medal and you're like, oh. And from then onwards, because you get asked so much, are you going to have a natural labour? Are you going to have a natural labour? It's like kind of all labours are natural because I'm pushing something out of my body and this is not normal. Yeah. If my body so, does it, it's in natural. some way it's come end. out of me. Yeah. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> and then from there onwards, it doesn't stop, you know, from breastfeeding to how the baby's sleeping. Is it sleeping in your bed? And it, I keep saying it, but I'm just saying for a boy or a girl mm-hmm. or whatever you have, are they? Um, it's the whole thing is, I think I feel like the expectation is a lot ramped up actually by other people mm-hmm. just that are wanting to know how you're going to do it and basically so that they can tell you how they did it. Yeah, and I think, yeah exactly. It's just like, I've got a story about that and you're like, not right now. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, write a book about yeah, it, mate. Yeah, yeah. I'll read it later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll read that when you've yeah. gone and done that. And I yeah. think what was interesting in the book as well is that you were kind of reaching out to people, maybe not your close people, but professional people to be like, is this normal? And everyone's like, yeah, everyone feels a bit sad after having a baby. And like, and that's almost like a way totally. of silencing your experience a little. Um, totally. because And that's why the illness is so difficult to diagnose. And what I love on the Action Postpartum Psychosis um, website, which I work really close with APP, they're incredible. But they say, if you're feeling any of these symptoms, um, go to the GP. If the GP has not diagnosed you with postpartum psychosis and they're getting worse, go back. 
which I love mm. because a the illness like with many mental illnesses you know this is not a sawn off arm you can't show somebody and go there's blood but in your brain there's blood mm. and you can't show anybody that so first of all you're probably hiding you're playing it down you're confused so with your you're also trying to work out what's going on. It's like being really drunk at some points. And then you're probably hiding from your partner or your parents or your friends or whoever because you don't want them to look like you're not coping. And then on top of that, the illness, the psychosis particularly, has its own track. So it's also deciding that you're a cheese grater or whatever it decides to be that day. So you're pushing with lots of things. And then on top of all of that, Everybody says that they found it hard or they didn't sleep or they felt weird or they felt anxious or they felt doom or they had no appetite and they couldn't sleep and all the rest of it. So how do you diagnose this? How do you say it? And I think it's also people just being aware that it's a thing because I think we're kind of getting there with general mental illness and people are just, people have stopped being like, oh, I feel sad. Oh, well, everyone feels sad sometimes, but we don't associate that with pregnancy and birth because you're supposed to be playing this performative role of like the thrilled mother. And like, what were your, when, you know, do you feel like there's a lot of, like obviously the book's like about to come out it's really exciting um there's this thing that people don't say which is what have I done like are you allowed to say after the baby is born like I'm worried about the implications of this on my life like has that felt better for you to be able to say that and and what stopped you from wanting and then being able to say yeah I feel like yeah um I mean getting hospitalized that exact moment I remember that was the probably the most relief I felt in a really long time that was almost the relief like bigger the relief of him coming out of me in a way because I was like oh I don't have to pretend anymore I can just go it's got really really bad and I realize now I'm starting from below neutral I've got to build myself right up but at least now everyone knows I'm not pretending I can't cope I I am ill really ill you know anyway when you're ill Mm um so yeah, there's a lot of relief. And actually, um, a lot of people and in the stories, recovery, survival stories that I've read of other people, that the first thing a patient feels when they are hospitalised usually is relief because the game is up, which is a nice feeling. Um, and you're safe as well. You don't think you're going to do something to yourself or mm. someone else. You don't know. So that's good. Um, and yeah, I think in, in general, actually, uh, there is a kind of um, tabloid stereotype. You either feel like you fall into two categories. You're either the English rose, maternal, blossoming, like, look at me, I wear anklets and toe rings and can bake bread from scratch. Or you're the mean old spinster that's really cold hearted, that's going to be the purpose and of all your child's angsty teenage poetry for the rest of their lives. And you, that's kind of the two Walt Disney alternatives you have and so soon as I remember actually um in those early days like relating to evil characters I remember being like that stepmom is uh, she's got she's got her own problems leave her alone I remember just yeah what uh, oh no even more in even more insidious being like ah ah like I see why she's done that yeah because like like actually tuning into her (laughs) dark times yeah that was good how did it feel because obviously um you've written everything from like children's stories to teenagers and poetry um writing something that was really you and not just like something that you might have experienced and you're putting into character but something that you were like this has my name on it now these are these are real people in this book what was the difference in the writing process for you and how did that feel the writing process was apps honestly it was the where to even begin well I did it on my phone 
Nice. which I had to do because I had a baby crawling all over me. And actually I did that because, so uh, I guess to take it back, when Jet was six months, that's when I wrote this blog for Clemmie, yeah. I'd only, Clemmie Telford. I'd only met her maybe once at this point. We were pregnant at the same time. She was her third. And um, she would, we were kind of due around the same time, checking in on each other. She had gone ahead and then I was like, oh God, we were both overdue. And I was like, oh, she's had it all, What you know the perfect thing that's what you start believing when you're looking at everyone else's social media and then um it was my go horror and then she was checking in on me and I was quiet anyway six months later I was like I feel like I'm kind of ready to write this down that was partly because I felt like people had sort of heard snippets that I had got unwell and as uh, and as bad as I had but I had such terror as well that people have a, a vision in their mind of of what somebody that is mentally ill looks like but particularly with postnatal depression or postpartum psychosis that we're kind of baby killers um and I had that real extreme vision in my mind I also just wanted to get this story straight I'd had a few people also reach out to me a few friends that had I posted a little poem actually um and someone had written to me saying a friend of a friend actually one of Hugo's old school friends kind of saying it was like she was testing me out she was like I've just had a baby and did you? And I was like, call me tomorrow. And then I was like, actually, this is a bigger conversation. So I put that out. And then it was kind of like every writer's dream to have all these publishers be like, we want to do your book. That was my dream. But it was to tell this story. And I was like, but this has ruined my life. It felt kind of Faustian, like it was dark, mm. like selling my soul. The one time my writing's going to connect properly. And I have to Spare die, basically, yeah. to do it. It felt sick. And I was like, actually, I can't do this. Um, Retracted. Even though those meetings, looking back, some of the people I had meetings with, the commissioning editors, one of them gave me flowers. Like, she had tears in her eyes. This is a story that many women are shoving down. Like, so I thought, but I just thought, you know what? This has to happen, but it's not me. I'm not this person. I just want to go back to the land of bubbles and rainbows and pretend this doesn't exist. And then, um, but it was doing it itself as my writing has probably helped me throughout my whole life. Um, I just started writing, writing, writing. And with ev- I just said to this one editor who, she'd said to me, I hadn't didn't have what you had, Laura. She was like, but I was writing things down, weird things. And I was like, she kind of gets it. So I said, look, I'm going to write chapters and then I'll just send them off to you. And if you want to, we can see how it looks. Whenever it was later, we had a meeting and they printed it off what I'd done. And as you know, working in publishing, they don't print print things off lightly because very paper's scarce. Yeah, <laughs> it was a tree. It was a full tree, and I had done that on my. I you was were like, just oh, like, I accidentally wrote a book. So, <laughs> and so intimidating and scary, and also, who would want to read this? It's the most. Uh, yeah, this is a story, but maybe it's just for me. Maybe it's a diary. Mm. Um, and then we hacked it down and it became what it is. But every time I sent it off, I just felt lighter and lighter and lighter. And there is a form of therapy where uh, you tell the same story over and over yeah, again and it loses therapy. its power. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of loses its edge, basically. And that's kind of what happened. It was like, oh, my God, I got to a point where I was like, I'm actually a bit bored of this. <laughs> Whereas before it would scare me, like to think about it would scare me. And now I'm like, 
no, this is actually, and now everyone jokes. That's what's so wicked about it. Me and my friends, they're all just like, oh, here we go. You met, yeah, post-pop. Yeah, 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 yeah you yeah, were crazy, yeah. whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, honestly. Or one of my friends would be like, do you know when I was in Mexico? And I'd be like, oh, be like, oh sorry, you probably don't remember you were in post-pop psychosis at the time, as if I was in a, on a holiday destination. <laughs> that great and, hotel. And I love that because... That great hotel. <laughs> that, but that's um, it's helped me and it's it's informed and enriched my relationships because my friends feel like they can talk to me about big stuff too now and because I'm not going to flicker an eyeball. Yeah, <laughs> you've seen it all. <laughs> I've been you've in the trenches. <laughs> <laughs> Trust. <laughs> you um, have a wonderful bit at the end that's like the A to Z of self-care around, um, which, which I, we can't go through in detail here. Um, but I think what was what was really useful and why I think this book is really viable for everybody is because you talk about how to treat somebody who has gone through what you've gone through. So it's not just like the mm. person who's gone through it having to like deal with it themselves. It's just kind of like, imagine if you were this person, like, don't say this, say this. <laughs> um, do you hope that like, you know, um, like, I don't know if Jet ever has children or like in the future, like how this conversation will be different and how people could be more aware of it? Do you hope, do you think that'll be the case? oh totally I said to Hugo I was like I really want Jet to be a psychotherapist like that's what I want him to be for his job because having this experience so early on in life I think has saved my life it's been something that yeah tried to kill me but actually now I know how to take care of myself properly how to take care of other people properly I wouldn't have I would have always meant it in a nice way I wouldn't maybe have said it specifically but I might have said at one point cheer up or look on the bright side or because they don't teach this in schools mm. so how do we know when it's the biggest thing in life why am I fiddling around with a protractor when I need to know like how to take care of my health um <clears throat> so that's that and yes asking for help is actually the bravest thing a person can do and the joke of it is since coming out which it does feel like I've come out about it um about what happened to me there isn't one friend I know who hasn't gone, yeah, I've had, not that, on the but spectrum. this. Or, yeah. Yes. And, or I, I actually am on medication and it really helps me, or I was, or I'm thinking of going on them, or I see a therapist and it's like, this, when then you realise 50%, maybe even more of 50% of what actually is make inflaming this whole thing is the shame. Mm. It's like whack-a-mole. People just keep popping up like, oh, me too, me too. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, well, you could have told me yeah. before. <laughs> exactly. Why did I have to find like, out the just hard Just a post-it way? note would have been fine. Some kind of memo. That would have been great. I really, that's all I needed. Yeah. No, I think but it's great because it's showing, I think we're taught, you know, that mental illness exists, but we're taught that like the people that have mental illness are over here. And then there's everybody else. And actually, I think it's it's so much bigger than that. You think you're immune from it, don't yeah. you? It's just like... Yeah. And then after you have that, uh, you, you get such denial. It's like, you can't be talking to me. Mm. Like, you can't. It feels like you're in a movie, which does not help the psychosis. The whole thing, you think you're Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, especially if you're a writer, because you're like, oh, I can really plot this out. I could, I could get some great, like... This is the other thing. Everyone starts going to you, oh, is it because of your highly active imagination? It's like, oh my God, this has nothing. I didn't ask for this. Do you not yeah. think as a writer I've asked to be psychotic before to give me some inspiration? <laughs> because that's another myth, I guess, is around writers being a bit like... <laughs> Absolutely. And women, mm. like um, in their 30s, you know, um, yeah. that's totally the 
is the um, stereotype. I, got, I wrote down a quote from your woman. book actually that I really liked that was like, oh, years ago, would a woman have been able to write this stuff without being called a witch or thrown into asylum? Probably not. <laughs> and I'm writing it for them too. And I think it's that thing as well yeah. as like the mad woman in the attic, the woman who doesn't totally. automatically bond with her baby. <sighs> Um, you you I, you very quickly could see myself. Um, I'd seen um, on the the sleep one of the sleeping aids they'd given me this drug called quetiapine, which treats schizophrenia if given in a higher dose. But I saw on the side of the box um, treats schizophrenia, and I heard the GP say to Hugo, T- "Don't don't let her worry about that." But that was my brain just went round it like Velcro, and I was like, had this image of myself in this kind of nighty on my knees and hands and knees like crawling screaming for my baby and I was like this looking back at myself now that is also such prejudice for me even to imagine that interpretation of what a schizophrenic person looks like which I'm is so damaging and dangerous and um but I didn't how do you know unless it is taught to you and it's kind of uh I mean this is a larger thing but it's actually really unfair and damaging of pop stars, I think, when they use these, you know, they sensationalise uh, poor mental health, you know, when it suits them. Like a, an artist might have a track where they're like, oh, I'm an insomniac, I'm a psychopath, I'm, you know, all this, mm. I'm fucked up in the head or whatever. But then when they go to hospital themselves for exhaustion, they exhaustion they're not honest about it and it's like you could save so many people's lives yeah don't just put it in don't the lyrics just write about it when it suits you mm. actually if you're experiencing these everyday normal human being things please tell us about it because then we feel like we're broken and we're wrong yeah. if we and there's also i guess like the us. um mythology around like celebrities having babies because they'll get like like their get rid of their baby body and like appear but they're like they've yeah. probably got like eight nannies behind them i'm like behind every pop star holding a baby is like eight other women <laughs> with bottles do you know what that's so true and also that that's this is what i am really grateful for as well not one conversation do i have with a person where the weight loss or the genes come into it anymore you know this is the actual stuff that people that people keep from you about having a baby they talk about the weight loss and all of that stuff it's like no 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 darling that's not even it this is it yeah. like um and that's why i i loved it when i saw a bit of cardi b saying postpartum you know she put up a little instagram thing um even you know megan markle speaking about it like that's helping so much like just again turn the volume down it's nobody nobody's fault nobody wants to be mentally unwell why would they yeah <laughs> especially when they have a newborn to keep alive 24 7 yeah literally got like a extra human that you're like yeah fine. yeah um, yeah well thank you so much for like I don't know I think it's all it's kind of like very different to your other work but also like it's kind of in keeping with like Laura in that you're like subverting mythology it's like kind of like Lorelei or like like big bones or like things like that where you're just like here's what you thought it was it's not that (laughs) um (laughs) I love that um so whether it's like mermaids or or um bodies or whatever it's really cool um oh my last question is and it's okay if not are you managing to read anything in isolation apart from obviously what Jet wants to read and if so what yeah oh (laughs) loads of books by uh kids books have been amazing yeah yes. um oi frog all that um so yes i'm just reading olive at the moment by emma gannon oh, cool. is uh, it good? i'm really excited the... to read that 
proof copy of that. Yeah, it's been keeping me real com- com- um, comfort and company during this time. Um, I feel like it's actually is that kind of coming of age, that 30 story that we're all kind of hungered for. And similar, which is working with that really nicely, so I have them both on, is um, the Hungover Games. Oh, I've heard uh, about By that. Sophie Heward, which again is excellent too. And they're both kind of similar like they're they're kind of the stories that if I didn't have the psychosis that would have been my story that I would have wanted to be feasted on right now too I I also must shout out a show just finished um is Inferno by Catherine Chow um which Catherine Cho sorry Mm -hmm. um which is a another postpartum psychosis recovery story and is just so incredibly beautifully written and brave and amazing and and sadly came out just before this happened so I feel like it was kind of lost a little bit yeah. and I really want that book to be seen yeah it's, you, it's amazing you've got a great bookshelf that you're a part of I think there's like lots of women being like <laughs> you're like making up an amazing section of waterstones right now for us to return to <laughs> <laughs> and they said no one's in it the the yeah, the, yeah, the mice have... are seeing the book <laughs> yeah the mice are having great they're gonna be very well read the mice. mice and the ghosts of English past yeah definitely <laughs> They're going to be very well read. Um, we'll have to get them yeah. on the podcast. It'll be mice that I'm going to be getting on the podcast next. <laughs> yeah, we're reading a lot, actually. Yeah, um. yeah, exactly. Very well read. Um, well, thank you so much for writing such a wonderful book. Thank you. Uh, and for keeping oh. our spirits up in isolation. Um, Thanks for reading it. And yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast. What Have I Done by Laura Dockrell is available now. It's in audiobook, it's in ebook, and you can also order it in beautiful hardback from any of your independent bookshops. We have a great thread on the Vintage Books Twitter uh, if you'd like to see where you can order a book from your independent bookshop from. I also want to give a quick shout out uh, for those of you who love to write as well as to read uh, to the Write Now scheme. Penguin are looking for writers across the UK and Ireland to apply to Write Now. It's a free programme to find, nurture and publish new writing talent from communities underrepresented on the nation's bookshelves. It's a chance for you to define what it means to be an author and it starts with just a thousand words. So all you need to do is go to penguin.co.uk slash right now. That's W-R-I-T-E now to find out more and apply before the 31st of May. There's something to keep you occupied uh, while in hibernation. Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast. You can come over and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Vintage Books and leave us a review if you fancy. Keep reading boldly and thinking differently, and until next time.